This is Finding Center, a daily half-hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is Seeking Humility. LeGrand R. Curtis, Jr., a General Authority 70 of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints at the time this devotional was given, will give his talk entitled, Humbly Combining Heart and Mind. It is wonderful to be back at BYU today. I was a student here in the early 1970s, and during that time some important things happened here, including the construction of this building, the appointment of Dallin H. Oaks as president of the university, the building of the Provo Temple, and Lavelle Edwards being hired as the head football coach and taking his team to BYU's first bowl game, the 1974 Fiesta Bowl. During that time, several important things also happened in my life, including receiving my mission call and serving a mission, getting engaged and married, becoming a father, and graduating with a degree in economics. I would like to speak today about another important thing that happened to me during my time as a student here. There is an interesting connection in the scriptures between the heart and the mind. Consider this verse from an early revelation to the prophet Joseph Smith concerning the process of knowledge being revealed. Yea, behold, I will tell you in your mind and in your heart by the Holy Ghost which shall come upon you and which shall dwell in your heart. From this verse it is clear that the process of revelation can include both ideas to the mind and feelings to our hearts. In the next section, the Lord further describes this process. Behold, you have not understood. You have supposed that I would give it unto you when you took no thought, save it was to ask me. But behold, I say unto you that you must study it out in your mind. Then you must ask me if it be right. And if it is right, I will cause that your bosom shall burn within you. Therefore, you shall feel that it is right. But if it be not right, you shall have no such feelings, but you shall have a stupor of thought that will cause you to forget the thing which is wrong. These verses once again speak of the mind as well as feelings that are manifest inside us, in this case, the burning in the bosom. This expression is reminiscent of the passage in Luke, chapter 24 where one of the disciples who walked with the risen Christ on the road to Emmaus said to the other disciple with whom he shared that experience, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? Both passages, whether referring to feelings in the heart or bosom, are referring to the, quote, workings of the Spirit, end of quote, that we can feel within us as part of revelation. The prophet Mormon, in describing the revelation to include the small plates of Nephi with his compiled record, said this, And I do this for a wise purpose, for thus it whispereth me, according to the workings of the Spirit of the Lord which is in me. And now I do not know all things, but the Lord knoweth all things which are to come, wherefore he worketh in me to do according to his will. King Benjamin's discourse also provides insights into the interaction of the heart and the mind. In the first verse of his sermon, King Benjamin urges his listeners to, quote, open your ears that you may hear, 
and your hearts that you may understand, and your minds that the mysteries of God may be unfolded to your view. I find it intriguing that the people were urged to open their hearts to understand. We usually think of understanding as being associated with the brain. But one of the lessons of this sermon is that spiritual things are understood with the heart, that is, by feelings of the Spirit within us. But the brain is not left out of the process. The people of King Benjamin were also urged to open their minds that the mysteries of God may be unfolded to their view. Hence, to learn the things that King Benjamin had to teach that day, the people needed to have both the heart and the mind fully engaged. One of the important things that happened to me during my days as a student of BYU was coming to appreciate what can happen as the mind and the heart, or spirit, work together. It was here that I learned the truth of the words taught by Elder Hubie Brown. Men live best when they neither deny themselves the verdict of the head nor the intimations of the heart, but seek a working harmony of both. My appreciation of that principle happened for me here in a variety of ways. One place that it happened was in the classes that I took. During my first semester at BYU, I took a Book of Mormon class from C. Terry Warner, the director of the BYU Honors Program and a philosophy professor. It was a small class, and Brother Warner's approach was simple. In preparation for each class session, we read some assigned chapters from the Book of Mormon and came to class ready to discuss them. During each class session, Brother Warner asked what insights we had had during our reading, and he also shared insights that he had had concerning those chapters. The result was electrifying. The spirit was very strong as bright minds and willing hearts combined in discussing the teachings and applications of those Book of Mormon chapters. I experienced the inspired learning that takes place as the heart and the mind are both open and engaged, as encouraged by King Benjamin. That type of learning continued throughout my time at BYU. In my last semester, I took a religion class taught by Bruce C. Hafen. The class was entitled Your Religious Problems and was patterned after a class Elder Hafen had taken when he was a student at BYU. Each student in the class made a presentation with respect to a religious problem of her or his choosing. In addition to discussing the subject as a group, each of us wrote our own brief response with respect to the issue presented. Some of the issues raised were very challenging, and solutions often did not come easily or quickly. Each of us in the class needed both open hearts and minds to analyze the issues with faith. I got to see the process described in Doctrine and Covenants, section 9, verses 7 to 9, put into practice as we studied things out in our minds and prayerfully sought the Spirit for confirmation and further direction. I was impressed with the intellects of Elder Hafen and the class members, but what I remember most is the Spirit that I felt surrounding what we did in that class. What I experienced in that class and in other classes at BYU fits neatly within this statement penned several years later with respect to the ideal BYU experience. Quote, 
A spiritually strengthening education warms and enlightens students by the bright fire of their teacher's faith while enlarging their minds with knowledge. This combination of the spirit and the mind was not limited to the classes that I took. These are the notes that I took of a devotional talk by Neil A. Maxwell in 1971, not yet a general authority of the Church. Both his intellect and deep spirituality soared in that talk. While here, I also heard the words of Truman Madsen, Hugh Nibley, Dallin Oaks, Ann Madsen, Rex Lee, Robert Thomas, Carolyn Pearson, Chauncey Riddle, and a host of others whose powerful intellects and devotion to the Lord challenged my thinking and showed me how the wonderful principles of the gospel called for my very best thinking and, more importantly, my very best living. My association with fellow students did the same. My days at BYU included the blessing of getting to know many students whose commitment to the Lord and serious academic preparation paved the way for their service in the Church, in their families, and in organizations around the country and the world. Following their training, they held important positions at leading universities, businesses, law firms, and other institutions. That service has made the world a better place, but it also blessed me personally to see their powerful combination of mind and spirit. I saw in them what Elder Hafen once referred to as, quote, the healthy relationship between the head and the heart, end of quote. The friends of whom I speak embody what is now stated as the aims of a Brigham Young University education. Quote, a BYU education should be spiritually strengthening, intellectually enlarging, and character building, leading to a lifelong to lifelong learning and service. Last year, Elder Neil L. Anderson eulogized one of our mutual BYU friends, the late Elder Bruce D. Porter, in this way. I first met Bruce when we were students at Brigham Young University. He was one of the best and the brightest. After receiving his doctoral degree from Harvard University, emphasizing Russian affairs, Bruce's thinking and writing brought prominence that could have derailed him. But the wealth and praise of the world never clouded his view. His loyalty was to his Savior, Jesus Christ, to his eternal companion, Susan, to his children and grandchildren. Similar things could be said of other friends from my BYU days. And I acknowledge that such associations and such intellectual and spiritual experiences can and do happen at other places. I personally treasure my friendships and my experiences from my University of Michigan years and from other times in my life. While I rejoice in what can happen as the spirit and the mind are joined in serious study, There is a caution that all of us who love the things of the mind need to take very seriously. In raising this caution, let me start with these words of Jacob from 2 Nephi chapter 9. Oh, that cunning plan of the evil one! Oh, the vainness and the frailties and the foolishness of men! When they are learned, they think they are wise and hearken not unto the counsel of God, for they set it aside, supposing they know of themselves. Wherefore, their wisdom is foolishness, and it profiteth them not, and they shall perish. 
As we rejoice in the blessing of being able to think and to learn, it is imperative that we never lose our sense of humility before God. The greatest thinking in the world is foolishness, and it profits nothing if the thinker does not hearken to the counsel of God. In his talk referenced earlier, King Benjamin put all of this in perspective. Quote, Believe in God. Believe that He is and that He created all things, both in heaven and in earth. Believe that He has all wisdom and all power, both in heaven and in earth. Believe that man doth not comprehend all the things which the Lord can comprehend. The fact that man does not comprehend all that God can comprehend should make us deeply humble before Him and willing to follow His counsel in all things. It should make us anxious to have the Spirit enlighten our minds and enhance our understanding. I think with sadness of a scholarly friend who stopped coming to church because he did not find the discussions in our church meetings to be, quote, interesting, end of quote. His focus had moved away from the combination of the mind and the Spirit. Perhaps he had fallen into the trap of which Jacob warned. One of my memories of BYU is a lecture that I attended given by Truman G. Madsen, a BYU philosophy professor. He told of having one of his colleagues, Hugh Nibley, excitedly come to his office with his Book of Mormon in hand, turned to Jacob's sermon in 2 Nephi chapter 9. His focus was on these words from verse 42, quote, The learned and they that are rich who are puffed up because of their learning and their wisdom and their riches, yea, they are they whom God despiseth. Brother Nibley, one of the most learned people ever to teach on this campus, let Brother Madsen know that he was deeply struck by the scriptural message that God despises those who are puffed up because of their learning. And he marveled at Jacob's use of the word despiseth, and as one who loved learning was determined never to be puffed up because of that learning. In his writings, Brother Nibley said of this statement by Jacob, quote, that must be the all-time put-down, end of quote. This part of 2 Nephi chapter 9 requires more review because it not only contains that warning but also a way forward for all of us. In verse 41, Jacob teaches that Christ is the keeper of the gate to the kingdom of heaven and that there is no other gate. Then comes verse 42, which I quoted in part earlier. Here is the whole verse. And whoso knocketh, to him will he open. And the wise and the learned and they that are rich who are puffed up because of their learning and their wisdom and their riches Yea, they are they whom he despiseth, and save they shall cast these things away, and consider themselves fools before God, and come down in the depths of humility, he will not open unto them. The way forward is to consider ourselves fools before God, and to come down in the depths of humility. Considering ourselves fools before God is to remember King Benjamin's teaching referenced earlier, that God comprehends everything and and that we at our very best only comprehend a little. That helps us stay in the depths of humility and recognize the need for His wisdom in our lives. 
With that humility, as lovers of learning, we can rejoice in another verse from this chapter, quote, but to be learned is good if they hearken unto the counsels of God. In our efforts to maintain the humility that we must have, we are blessed to have the examples of those who lead us. For the last almost 14 years, it has been my blessing to go on assignments at various times as the junior companion to 15 different apostles, including all three members of the new First Presidency announced today. I have always had deep respect for the senior leaders of this church, but after having watched them close up, I must say they're even better than I thought they were. And one of the ways that they are so good is the sincere humility that they have. My first assignment with a member of the Twelve was in 2004 when I was assigned to go to a state conference with Elder Joseph B. Worthlin. I nervously picked him up at his home. As we were driving to the state conference, I tried to tell him how honored I was to be in his company. I said something like, Elder Worthlin, I am deeply honored to be with you. He responded by saying, Brother Curtis, I am deeply honored to be with you. I thought to myself, I didn't explain that very well. So I summoned my courage and I tried again. Elder Worthlin, I said, I am just an ordinary member of the church and it is an extraordinary experience for someone like me to be with an apostle. He responded, I am an ordinary member of the church and it is extraordinary for me to be with you. He seemed not to understand what I was trying to express. Now, at the conference, he acted in every way like an apostle. He was mighty in declaring God's word, but he seemed incapable of seeing any significance in himself. At his funeral, his son said, When I contemplate the legacy that Dad left his family and the church, his humility stands out. Dad just never saw himself as anyone special. When President Monson ordained him an apostle, he prophetically declared to Dad, Your humility will endear you to the people. And so it has. Another outstanding example of humility is our new prophet, President Russell M. Nelson. His credentials as a scholar and a heart surgeon are extremely impressive. In addition to his medical degree, he also has a Ph.D. from the University of Minnesota, and his medical research greatly expanded the ability of medical science to prolong life through open-heart surgery. He was the first to perform open-heart surgery here in the state of Utah, which was only the third state to ever do that kind of surgery. During his medical career, he received great professional recognition and lectured all over the world. But during that career, he was also faithful to the Lord and his church and took on small and large church callings as they came to him. He served as a stake president, general Sunday school president, and then regional representative while still conducting research and practicing medicine. As recounted by Elder Neil L. Anderson at the most recent general conference, during that busy time as a surgeon and church leader, President Nelson also humbly heeded the invitation of President Spencer W. Kimball and associated promptings of the Spirit to learn Mandarin Chinese. That humility led to opportunities to form associations with important people in China and bless the people of that land 
and benefit the work of the Church. Another great example of humility is President Henry B. Eyring. President Eyring loves learning and excelled as a scholar. He received a Ph.D. from Harvard University and accepted an appointment to be a professor at Stanford University, where he taught business classes and conducted important research. From there, he went on to be president of Ricks College, which later became BYU-Idaho. While in that position, he heard the president of the Church, President Ezra Taft Benson, give a talk in general conference in which he encouraged members to get out of debt, including paying off mortgages. President Eyring's business knowledge gave him reasons why, given the then-current economic conditions, it might not have been a good time to pay off the mortgage that he and his wife had on their house. However, their humility in following the direction of the prophet of God gave them the will to do it. Although they were not sure that they could do it, once they started trying, an opportunity materialized for the Irings to sell an asset that had been hard to sell and then used the proceeds to pay off their mortgage. In the October 2010 General Conference, after recounting how that happened, President Irene said the following, A person might say that was only a coincidence, but our mortgage was paid off and our family still listens for any word in a prophet's message that might be sent to tell what we should do to find the security and peace God wants for us. A study of President Irene's life shows that humility exemplified over and over. In his biography, I Will Lead You Along, you will find example after example of President Irene humbly following the counsel of church leaders. Chapter titles include, quote, Follow the Brethren, end of quote, and, quote, Hearken to the Lord's Servant, end of quote. Those whose direction he followed included many senior general authorities, but also stake presidents, bishops, and a home teacher. His life story also shows many instances of humbly following impressions of the Holy Spirit that came to him. I have seen that same humility in other senior leaders of the Church, including President Oaks, who was announced today as the other counselor in the First Presidency. They are strong, powerful leaders, but they are also humble, gracious, and regularly seek the counsel of those around them. Many of these apostles have advanced degrees from prestigious schools and other significant accomplishments. But those degrees and those accomplishments do not keep them from being humble. To the contrary, they are, like Alma, quote, humble servants of God, end of quote. The prime example of humility, of course, is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He had a place of great preeminence in the pre-earth life. He created this and other worlds, yet he accepted fully his Father's plan for our salvation and voluntarily came to this earth to live and minister in the most humble of circumstances. In all that he did, he sought only the glory of the Father and to see the Father's will done. He resisted every temptation of Satan, including the temptation to receive honor and glory. He committed no sin, but humbly accepted the responsibility to suffer the incomparable pain required to pay for the sins of all mankind, including your sins and my sins. 
He humbly submitted to the will of his Father in doing all that was required so that he could redeem us. He descended below all things so that he could accomplish his remarkable atonement. Of him I bear my witness. From experiences that I have had in my life, including experiences on this campus, I know that he is the Christ, our Redeemer, and that his atonement is real and effective. I am grateful for the spirit that he bestows upon us. I am grateful for the minds and the hearts that he has granted to us and the patience that he has with us as we learn grace by grace. I bear testimony of him and wish you the best in your journey to humbly combine heart and mind in his service. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for a half hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Seeking Humility. LeGrand R. Curtis Jr. gave his talk entitled Humbly Combining Heart and Mind. Speeches on Finding Center are often edited for broadcast. Find links to the full talks and access the rest of our Finding Center episodes on the free BYU Radio app, available wherever you get your apps. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.